Hey, welcome to the podcast of C3 Los Angeles. I'm Jake Sweetman, and together with my wife, Nicole, we lead this church. We're glad you're here, and we pray that wherever you're tuning in from, that you are encouraged and strengthened by this word. Here's today's message. Amazing. Well, for those of you joining us again and you're new, we are in the midst of a series about grace. And what I love about this word grace is that um, we've been diving into its different meanings. And I just want to draw our attention to the meaning that grace just means um, unmerited favor. That we just didn't do anything to deserve. That God has bestowed upon us. And that's what we're celebrating today. That's what Easter is all about. And uh, so we are going through the, the idea of grace and talking about how it presents for us another kind of life another kind of life. And I'm going to zip through this because I did see the ice cream truck pull in as I came to the stage. So I know all of you tummies are going to start rumbling. So we're going to dive in here. And uh, I I just want to ask you, uh, do you remember when you were a kid and you got asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? Anyone remember being asked that? And would probably laugh at, you know, the answer we had given back then. My son, Winston, who is now eight, in preschool, he drew a picture that when he grew up, he wanted to be an astronaut pastor. Yes, Bree, you're good. Thank you so much. He wanted to be an astronaut pastor. And, you know, I thought to myself, if Elon Musk keeps going at it, like, sure, buddy, I bet we will have people living on Mars and you can have a church there. Absolutely. It really is an amazing thing to think about how many times we have been presented with this question and then the variety of ways we have filled in the blanks, right? Do you remember in elementary school where at some point every kid wanted to be a marine biologist because we thought that meant we got to swim with dolphins? Do you remember? I, for one, am not a good swimmer, and so I thought for a myriad of years as a child that my calling in life was to be the voice of a cartoon character. Okay, a dream I now get to live out being a mother of two at story time when it's time to go to bed. (laughs) But in all sincerity, if you think about it, from this tiny age, we ask our little ones, what do you want to be when you grow up? And we ask this from toddlerhood to adulthood, and this innocent question has now connected the dots between this um, unspoken relationship and an unintentional pressure between our being and our doing, between our being and our doing. In other words, that who we are is emphasized and greatly prized by what we will then do one day. It's as if we live life with this invisible arrow above our head pointing to this link between our value and our purpose. Now, I am all about fostering the creativity inside of our kids and, you know, stirring up the dreamer within them. But as adults here in this room today, we have to come to recognize that we are part of a culture that is completely consumed with discovering who we are. We are obsessed with defining our identity, and we have become infatuated with answering the question, who am I? Right? Another question I'm sure you have asked yourself throughout the years, maybe as a teenager, most definitely during that awkward phase when you graduate from college and all of a sudden are a full-fledged adult needing to know what to do with your life. Who am I? But see, the question behind that question that we really want the answer to is what is my purpose? 
because purpose from the world's standard has become a trophy case. It's a trophy case displaying for us all of our achievements, all of our accolades, all of our labels and name tags that we collect for ourselves and that the world has given us. And we look upon this collection and we take in its scope and we inventory the variety of it and we derive from it what our worth must be. And we have allowed unintentionally what the world celebrates, what the world deems as praiseworthy to serve as the justifier of what our ultimate call, what our ultimate purpose must be. But here is the problem with that. What happens when one day a trophy gets taken away from your trophy case? What happens when the contract doesn't renew? What happens when the job promotion doesn't come through? What happens when that relationship ends? You know, what happens, what does it mean when you have a space in your trophy case reserved for a certain accomplishment that you're desiring to fill, but it just sits there empty, season after season, year after year, the financing, the baby, the house, the proposal, fill in the blank. We're all here wanting to fill that space with something here today, if we were honest with ourselves. So what does that mean? Does that mean that our value is diminished? That our worth is now put on hold or capped? Does that mean that our purpose is at a handicap or that our purpose has now been put on pause? Self-achievement can be such a volatile measurement for our sense of value and therefore a poor doorway into purpose. So what I want to talk to us here today is what if our value, our purpose, isn't first informed by the achievements that we have placed upon ourselves, but what if it's first informed by where we have been placed in Jesus Christ? And that's what we're going to talk about here today. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Ephesians 2, and I want to read to you verses 1 through 10, because what this is, this is basically the synopsis of what we receive as a result of Jesus' death and resurrection. This is the, the synopsis of what his grace has given us. So bear with me, the scripture will be on the screen, and we're going to read this together. It says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins, starting off on a high note here this morning. Which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That's just another word for Satan. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And were by nature children of wrath, just getting even more positive, like the rest of mankind. It's going to turn, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. And so by grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him, seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus, for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not of your own doing it is a gift not a result of work so that one could boast and then ending here on verse 10 this is our main scripture for the morning we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them let me just recap the heart of what we just read basically what this is saying is that rather than your value or your purpose being determined by how praiseworthy you are the fact is because Jesus 
Jesus is worth all the praise, we have been granted immeasurable value and a significant, distinct purpose in him. And that's what we're talking about this morning. And and how do we know this? See, we read here in Ephesians that if anyone here today feels like you're living at a deficit, maybe your trophy case is half empty instead of half full in your eyes here today, I want to let you know that God's grace has already been extended to you through the gift of salvation, that the scripture tells us that the power of the resurrection of Jesus has already been given to us so we can go from dead to alive, to lost in our sin, to found in his righteousness. We get to go from striving to walking because we in that show and reflect his goodness, in that we reflect his grace. So what grace gave me. What did grace give me? This is what we're going to talk about here this morning, like I said. What grace gave me? Let's bow our heads. Let's pray one more time. Holy Father, Jesus, we just acknowledge you in this place. We acknowledge your presence. Lord, we thank you for this day of celebration. Father, I thank you for every single son and daughter in this room. Lord, that their eyes and their ears of their spirit would be open to hear you, to receive you, to accept this word. Father, I ask that we will not just be hearers of the word today, but doers as well, and allow your work to be had and be a glory to your name. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. I'm just going to pop open this without spilling it on my white shirt, because that would definitely get the something going. Anyways something. Anyways, I don't know why I said that. We're just going to keep going. Hey, it's good to have fun in church. Welcome to C3 Los Angeles. If you have any complaints or questions, you can see Pastor Joe after the service. Okay. All right, let's reel it back in. We've all grown up. We've all grown up. Okay, we are a mature audience here. We have all grown up hearing the phrase, don't judge a book by its cover. Except we all did it if you grew up as a blockbuster generation. We judged every VHS by its cover, right? Every DVD by its cover. Don't judge a book by its cover. You know, anyone ever have their toddler wake up in the morning and go, Mom, why does your face look like that? That's where I'm really grateful for grace. I am grateful that God sees us through the covering of grace when we are in Jesus. And grace isn't just like a cover, like a blanket, like it doesn't just cover us up. It actually removes the stain of our sin, which is good news. Because as Paul puts it for us here in Ephesians, before Jesus, we were dead in our trespasses, okay? Dead, not weary, not haggard, but dead. D-E-A-D, dead. And that, my friend, is not a good look because we have no breath. We have no pulse. Death is not a great look on us. Yet this is our fair and our just punishment. As Romans 6.23 tells us that death, the wages of our sin is death. But then Paul in this scripture we just read swings the pendulum to this dramatic side that says, even though you were dead, But he made us alive in Christ Jesus. We went from dead to alive. By grace, we have been saved. Now, what I want you to understand here is there's no middle ground where the living dead roam around amongst us. Like you're either fully dead or you're fully alive in Christ. We go from children of wrath, as Paul so poetically put it, to being what believers are called children of light. And because God's grace is so 
extensive. He doesn't just give us a pulse and say that's good enough, but he actually calls us into the fullness of life by giving us the rights to share in the heirship and the sonship of his son, Jesus Christ. See, many of us, we are failing to understand the upgrade we received when we put our faith in Jesus. Ephesians goes on to tell us that we are raised up with him in heavenly places. We're raised up to an undeserving position. God has paid a price so that we could be elevated, so we could have a certain type of perspective in life, so we could have a certain type of access to his blessings in life. See, it tells us that he elevates us. Why? So he can show us immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Jesus. And so it's no account of our own. It's no account of our performing. It's no account of our doing, but it's simply by believing that we were go from dead to not just alive, but we go from dead to treasured. We go from dead to honored because that's the position we've been given. And that, my friends, is what grace has given me, and that's what grace has given you. See, my inclination here this morning is that there are some of us in this room, and we have allowed either our past or maybe our present to lie to us and tell us that having a pulse is just enough. Never mind you, that seat of honor that God has reserved for me. Or maybe some of us, we've had more misses than hits recently. Like I said, you're missing some trophies, and that's waned on you a bit. And so you've just resided to being the neglected middle child of God's family, failing to understand whose right hand you sit next to to. See, what I want us to understand here today that I've personally had to overcome is that if the enemy can keep you thinking that you are less than in any way, then he's going to keep you living a downgraded version of the journey that God has actually paid a rich price for you to live out a fullness in him. Like when you put your trust in Christ, you are given a bonus upgrade in life. Like has anyone ever had an unexpected upgrade in life? It's like, yes, it's the best feeling. I remember when Jake and I, when we first got married. Well, you know, it was our honeymoon, so we had just gotten married, literally. And we were flying back from Mexico, and my in-laws generously had purchased our tickets for us on the, you know, the plane tickets. And when we boarded the plane, I didn't realize that row two meant first class. And so here I am taking a first class seat. I've never experienced a first class seat before. I haven't experienced one yet since, but that's okay. That's why I thank you, Jesus, for Delta Comfort. Anybody? Yes, amen. So um, first class ticket. Now keep in mind, I'm 25 years old. I'm leaving my honeymoon and I'm sitting in a first class seat on an airplane coming back from Mexico. I don't know if it gets better than that. Like once you taste first class, it's hard to go back to coach, right? But some of us were living in our walk with God with a coach mentality. And I have realized that the way that I walk out the purpose that God has set for me, either with a first-class mentality or a coach mentality, will be determined by grasping hold of this revelation that God doesn't just see me, it's knowing how he sees me, through the covering of grace. And I have to allow that message of grace to echo in my heart that every time I wake up, I know that I am worthy because the one in whom my life is found is worthy. Ephesians 2.10 says, we are his workmanship, good works that he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I want to tell us about what this means, what grace has given us. The first thing that grace has given us here today, my friends, is an immeasurable value. And to understand that, we need to know that God is fully invested in you. 
He is fully invested in you. And it's not like the stock market where he's going to trade you in for a better option, right? If you have a down moment. No, he's fully invested. Ephesians tells us that we are his workmanship. That means a thing of his making, his handiwork. That holds a value. Another way we may have heard it is in 1 Peter 2.9. This is how he describes you in his eyes. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, many of us have maybe read or heard that passage before, but if you were to actually break it down, you might just start digesting and understanding the value you hold in his eyes. See, to be chosen, think about the last time you got picked for something. How good does that make you feel? Okay, like I, um, whenever I would attempt to do group sport activities, I was always the last one picked. But you can never guess why. But I was always the last one picked. And even though I could laugh at myself and I knew I'm awful at sports, like it still doesn't feel great. We only need to watch one episode of the rose ceremony on The Bachelor or Bachelorette and understand the joy that comes with being chosen, being the picked one. And this is what Christ is saying. is like, I forever choose you. Every day you wake up permanently seen as the best choice when we do life in Christ. Royal. Let's talk about royalty for a minute. Again, this idea of grace because we don't earn royalty. Like Henry and William, he was just, they just were born with the Windsor name. They didn't have to do anything to earn that name. And so they get all the glory and the authority and the, maybe not a lot of authority these days, but you know, they get the honor and the riches and the wealth and the fame that goes with it. And so just like us, when we're born into the family of God, when we become a son and daughter of of God, what happens is we are given the name Jesus. And that name has power and authority that we could never fully understand that he has given to us to live. We are royalty. We have been given a name that is royal. Holy. He calls us holy. Now, holy means set apart for a special use. You've been set apart. You have been set on the ultimate love seat with Jesus up in heaven. It's like he has given you the ultimate VIP, MVP experience for life that he wants to share with you. That's what holy looks like. And his own possession. I love this one. You're his precious. You're his possession. What does that mean? It means you belong. It means you always have a place to belong. It means you never have to fear getting the cold shoulder. You never have to fear overstaying your welcome. You belong. Now, if you were to string this together, and I was to give you the Nicole Sweetman translation of 1 Peter 2.9, this is what it would say. You are the always picked heir reserved for the VIP experience that you are always wanted and always deserving to belong to. See, that's the picture of our value through the covering of grace. We are God's special possession. We are his workmanship, and this alone should display for us the value that we hold in his eyes. Come on, I need somebody to understand how valuable you are to him. And that should start to build a confidence inside of us because just like an artist is always going to look at their own work and they're always going to see it at more value than any other onlooker because they understand the blood, the sweat, the tears that went into making this masterpiece. And so like us in the hands of our creator, we will never fully understand the blood, the sweat, the tears that Jesus invested on us the day he went to the cross. Come on, you are valuable. 
And it's not a value that moves or shifts. It's not a value that any human could tell you and take away from you. It's not a value that any human could downplay or, or disregard. It's a value that is firm, fixed, and final. First Peter 1.18 says, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but you were bought with the precious blood of Christ. If our redemption, if the currency of our redemption is precious, what does that say about you and I? It means you're precious. You know, you grow up hearing the song, you are precious in his sight. But are we living from a first-class mentality? Are we living from that elevated revelation? If you ever question how Jesus felt about you going to the cross for you, you're like, well, that was God's choice. How does Jesus really feel about the situation? We need only to look at Hebrews 12.2. This is how he felt about his investment for your life. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Listen, for joy he endured. For joy, Jesus counted it joy to have given his life as a ransom for you and I. See, you are so treasured in the eyes of Christ that he saw past the pain. You're so treasured in his eyes that he could look over the shame that he was enduring in his persecution. Why? Because he saw the reconciliation of you and I. He saw the reconciliation of you and I to his father, and he counted that as that valuable. You know, I don't know about you, but I've been watching recently some really moving Instagram stories of grandparents being reunited with their grandkids now that the borders are reopened, right? Like, I have one friend in particular, their grandparents were um, in the UK, and they were in the States, and it's like, dun, 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 you know, like the coming together, the Bette Midler, you're my hero, and I am watching these grandparents running to their grandkids in the airport and embracing, and I am weeping. I'm watching Instagram. Anyone else watch Instagram videos and it moves them to tears? I am weeping. I'm like, oh my gosh, grandma and grandpa reunited with their little ones. It's amazing. And I think about that, I'm like, that is a drop in the bucket compared to the joy that Jesus set his gaze to, even in the midst of being tortured, even in the midst of being slandered and spat on, that is the joy he set his gaze to. And what did he see? When he went to the cross, he saw you and I being raised up with him. He saw you and I being seated with him. He saw you and I going from dead to treasured, dead to honored. We are his workmanship. Are we getting this this morning? Jesus is fully invested. We cannot begin to comprehend the vastness of the value of Christ's life on the cross, an infinite being, God himself. You hold immeasurable value. If you believe it, say amen here this morning. And because we are his workmanship, he didn't go through all that work and create us to have no purpose, to create us to have no meaning. For those of you asking, do I have meaning? Do I hold a purpose? The answer is yes, because the cross says so. He has shaped you to hold a distinct purpose. That's the other thing that grace has given me and grace has given you this morning. It's given you a distinct purpose. See, like I said, God doesn't form things for nothing. He forms things for something. We need only to look at the beginning of Genesis and go through the thoughtful order of creation to understand that nothing is ever an afterthought. 
You weren't an afterthought. I don't care how you came into this world. You were not an afterthought. He made it all to hold purpose. I mean, the object sitting on your desk at home holds purpose to add interest when you get bored. Okay? We all hold a purpose. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that we were created in Christ Jesus for good works. Good works. That's the first thing I want you to know about the purpose you hold here today is that it's good. It's good. See, when God called creation into being, he called the light to exist and light existed. It separated from darkness. He looks at the light and he's like, yep, that's good. Check. And he goes on through all of creation. He separates the seas from the dry land. He sprouts vegetation. He hangs the stars, the moon, the sky. He calls every living creature to come forth to fill the seas and fill the land. And after every little bit of it, he calls it good. And then it's our turn. He makes us. He makes mankind. It says that he uh, creates man in his own image, creating male and female. And so it tells us that he puts his hands. For everything else, he calls out. But for us, he puts his hands into the earth, creating us as a vessel. And then he breathes his breath into us, making us alive, spiritual beings to dwell with him. And then it tells us in one Genesis 1.31, he sets us into this beautiful backdrop of creation he's made. And now we're put down in the center and he looks at everything it says that he has created and behold it was very good see very good is a title we get to carry as his creation and it is indicative of the purpose that we get to walk out now we know a little thing called sin entered the world because Adam and Eve you know mucked it up pretty early on and from that point on mankind has been striving to earn back that title very good well here comes grace here here comes Jesus on the cross, resurrected, and we get to earn back the title, very good. That's what grace gives us here this morning. And so we receive that title as through the spirit of adoption, as, as scripture tells us, as sons and as daughters. We get to earn the title, very good. And, you know, any parent in this room understands when you have a kid, you want good for them. Like, we don't even have to question. You desire good for them. You're invested. You see them as worthy and valuable of your investment because you desire goodwill for them. And that's how God sees us. He made us good, but he desires a good purpose for us as well. Winston recently um, joined a track and field team. Okay, he's eight. And he was just like, Mom, I want to do this. I'm like, let's give it a go, buddy. I didn't understand the investment I was getting into. Jake tried to warn me. I didn't quite understand until we had his first track meet. Okay, we're driving an hour out to get to the meet. We're there at 7.30 in the morning. It doesn't end till 4 p.m. I'm invested. I bought the chairs you strap to the seats in the stadium, you know, so that we can have some cushion. I dragged the three-and-a-half-year-old daughter with us to the meet. I packed the princess dolls. I mean, we are invested. And my will for my son isn't perfection. Like, this is his first meet. I'm not expecting first-place ribbons. But my desire is that he would do well. He would do good, that he'd make an impact. What happens is his first uh, heat, you know, newbies, 1,500, eight years old, 1,500. That's four and a half times around the track. And, you know, the kids, okay, first track meet. The kids all around him, they have, Jake's like, all the kids have spikes in their shoes. We don't have spikes on our shoes. I'm like, he'll be fine. The gun goes off. He just poof, takes out of the gate. And you know, 1,500, you got to pace yourself. So he starts in second. He gets his eighth place ribbon. 
But you know what? He did good. He finished his race. He ran with endurance. He ran with his head straight and held up high. And at the end of the race, you know what? He was smiling. He was proud of himself. He went back and had fun with his team. And that's how God sees us. See, God, as his kids, he initiated this relationship with you and I because he doesn't want to just watch us do good from far off, but because he's invested, he wants his good purpose for you, his good purpose for you to be worked out in you and through you through the good works. And that's what we gotta draw our attention here as we close is he created you for good works. See, some of us, we have um, maybe become a bit neutral in our approach to God. Or maybe we've been telling ourselves that we weren't really created to have much significance or an impact in what we do, or you've just resided to mediocre, the coach mentality. But what I wanna let you know is that God didn't create you to live in neutral. He created you to have a good impact, to bring glory to his name and to in that receive the fullness of his nature. God created you for good works that he prepared beforehand, beforehand, beforehand. You know what that word does for me? It builds my faith. God thought of me beforehand, before when? Just before, before you took your first breath, before you took your first step, beforehand. That should start building some confidence in us today, beforehand. Because what that means is that he's got the plan. He's presented a good purpose for you, which means he's planned for it. He's mapped out the plots. He has a plan for your life, my friends. But some of us were living in our life towards God with such tight margin, or maybe our Christianity has just become a religious box we tick every now and again. And so his beforehand plans haven't become our right now purpose. And so we're missing out on the fulfillment of doing life with Jesus, actively participating in the good works that he wants to do in you beforehand. You know, if God's planned for something, that means he's also prepared, which means he's prepared to bring the provision for the good works to come to fruition, which means he's given us his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is called the helper. Jesus told his disciples when he's ascending to heaven that I will not leave you as orphans. Hang out until the promise comes. We have been marked with a seal that is his spirit saying, I will not leave you, not equipped to do what I have called you to do, to have an impact because you hold value and I desire to partner with you that is a humbling thought he desires to do this life with us he doesn't want to set you up to fail some of us have felt the failures of life I know what that feels like but God wants you to walk sure-footed in the good purpose that he has for you Hebrews 4 16 says let us then with confidence draw near to the throne room of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now what I love about this verse, it's not just saying that you're good enough to come before God, but what it's telling me is that we draw near with confidence knowing we will receive what we need. Some of us, we've been going to a lot of different places to try to get what we need, but there's one place we go to receive all that we need. See, God isn't a father that we go to that just gives us what we want, but he's better than that. He's a father that gives us what we need. Some of us, we need something. I wake up every morning needing something, amen? I woke up this morning with a sick child. I needed something. <laughs> I needed God's grace on my life. And so we can come to him assured that we will receive in that moment with him. We will receive compassion. 
You'll receive understanding. You'll receive favor. You'll receive, you'll receive the gifts that you need to walk it out. That's the last part of the scripture. We're called to walk it out. Walking is the pace of purpose. Walking is the pace of purpose. We don't come, we don't walk, we don't run away from the throne room. We don't come out frantic. Hi, when, how? You know, stressed out. How am I gonna make this happen? How am I gonna do this? No, we walk. Walk is purpose. Walk has confidence. Walk knows who has equipped us. Walking indicates that we are open to allow God to have the next step. Jesus walked everywhere. I don't know if you notice in scripture, you don't really ever read about Jesus running, right? He walked everywhere. He even walked to Jairus' daughter, knowing that by the time he got there, she would be dead. He walked towards Lazarus, knowing that he would have gone from the sickbed to the tomb. But why could Jesus walk there with confidence? Because he knew who he was. He knew the power and the authority that he carried with him. And my friends, that is the same power and authority you carry as you walk as well. Jesus had to walk through Samaria. Walking isn't casual when you're walking on purpose. Walking isn't comfortable. For him to walk through Samaria was not the socially acceptable thing to do. It would have made the disciples a little uncomfortable, but he walked there. Why? Because one woman by a well would then set on fire an entire town to come to believe in Jesus. That is the harvest of walking with purpose, walking out the good works that God has for you, my friends. He has a plan, he has a purpose, and he is going to provide the way through. Walking presents opportunity. Have you ever just intentionally told yourself, I'm gonna walk slowly through this room? Yes, and what happens is you see people. It's an amazing thing. You can catch people's attention. They can catch your attention. You're interruptible, which means there's opportunity for God to move when we walk. Unless you're Jake Sweetman and you're 10 feet tall and I'm always trailing behind him when he walks. But walking is the pace of purpose. Let's stand to our feet here today. Walking reflects the rhythm of grace. I've always loved this passage. This is Matthew 11:28 28 through 30. This is the message version. And Jesus says this to us. He says, walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Some of us are living burdened lives heavy lives and you need to know that you are his workmanship he has created you for good works that you hold immeasurable values in his eyes i just want to remind some of us here today that you are not the sum of your life choices see the world wants to tell you that the sum value of the choices that you have made or maybe haven't made will determine the kind of life you get to live but God has made a way in which it only takes one choice putting our faith in Jesus Christ that tells a different story that tells us that we are not the sum value of our life choices but we are the sum value of Jesus Christ of his life given to us freely see the cross tells a different story the cross tells us that we can live another kind of life a life of value of impact of significance and of purpose. You've been listening to the C3 Los Angeles podcast. 
If you found today's message helpful, we encourage you to share it with a friend and consider rating it. If you'd like more information about our church or details on how to get connected to a neighborhood group, head to c3losangeles.com. We love you. Thanks for tuning in with us.